0: And now, earlier today, we interviewed Ellen Davidson, and we're going to listen to uh, that recording. Davidson is a longtime contributing editor to us, The Independent. She's an anti-war activist and a Jewish anti-Zionist who has traveled multiple times to the West Bank. She is a member of Veterans for Peace, Jews Say No, and the U.S. arm of the Gaza Freedom Flotilla Coalition. We asked her about the article she wrote in a November issue, which is titled... What does it mean to call Israel an apartheid state?
1: Ellen, uh, can you talk about what apartheid is and how it originated in South Africa and how the Israelis have uh, replicated it and also uh, uh, built on it and taken it further?
2: Yeah, um, and it's interesting. My start in activism was in college with the... Divestment movement around South Africa. Um, and so South Africa in the late 1940s started instituting a policy they called apartheid, and the word literally means apartness. And supposedly it was separate but equal development of the races, the different races in South Africa. Now, of course, as we know here from from our experience in education separate from but equal is not separate but equal and what happened in south africa was they pushed the black population onto these small isolated territories that they called homelands or bantu stands and they said these are where you live and then the white population the white settler population lived in the rest of the country which included all of the urban areas and most of the economically developed areas. So the black population within these tiny enclaves, they had to come out and work in the, in the rest of the land because there were no economic opportunities in these Bantu stands. And in order to move around in the white areas, they had to have certain ID cards and the ID cards would specify where they were allowed to go, where they were not allowed to go. And they, They couldn't vote in the white areas because supposedly they were citizens of these homelands. And it was an untenable, racist, oppressive system. And it was all held together by a very brutal police state as far as the black population was concerned. And there were thousands and thousands of people who were imprisoned, who were tortured. People were shot and killed in demonstrations. And the... The way it came to an end besides the heroic struggle of the african national congress and other liberation forces there was international pressure there was an international campaign to isolate south africa diplomatically and economically and the u.s of course was the very last to join it and um even after the end of apartheid was still calling the anc a terrorist group and the other country that that broke the diplomatic and economic blockade was, of course, Israel, the only country that was selling arms to South Africa, because that, at least, there was an international arms embargo in place for quite a while. And the the Israeli government was the one government that was in, completely allied with the South African government and was selling them arms during this period.
1: And what do you see as the... uh connection beyond uh, beyond that in terms of how israel has replicated an apartheid system
2: so so israel in the in the same way has has based its whole existence is based on dispossession from the land and isolating and controlling the palestinian population and not having equal rights so when israel was founded there was already at that time a massive dispossession. There were hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who left, who were refugees, who thought they were coming back in a few days when the things settled down, and they were never allowed back. And some of them have gone into the diaspora around the world, and some of them went to the West Bank, and some of them went to Gaza in nineteen. And and so during that period, Gaza was under the control of it of Egypt the west bank was under the control of jordan and then there was what is known as israel the what became the borders of of the internationally recognized borders of israel inside israel at that time there were not equal rights for the palestinian residents and the jewish residents um and the palestinian residents were kind of under a little bit of martial law during that period in 1967 Israel then invaded and took over the West Bank and Gaza, and they have been under occupation or, or and or blockade ever since. And so supposedly, and then under this mythical two-state solution that everybody talks about creating, the West Bank and Gaza would be under Palestinian control and Israel would be under the borders that it had after, before the 1967 occupation began. But even in that, so the, what happened is the Israel started making settlements into Gaza, into the West Bank, and so the territory that the Palestinians live on shrank and shrank until it's in these, it's again in these tiny isolated little bantu stands all over the West Bank. If you look at a map of the Oslo Accords, you'll see that the territory that is actually under Palestinian administrative and military control, and even that is nominal, it's a bunch of little cantons. They're not connected. The settlements, however, are connected by roads that only Israelis are allowed to drive on and so to think of to think that this could be a country and that this is where palestinians can have their homeland and have rights it's just absurd so that's one area where they've replicated this dispossession and these making these isolated disconnected banter stands where there's not really any kind of self-determination the control about how people can move around um there's another area where they've replicated that, particularly in the area around East Jerusalem. So in East Jerusalem, people have a what's called their, their a Jerusalem ID, residential sort of permit that allows them to be in East Jerusalem, even though they are part of the Palestinian population from the West Bank. But as Israel and the settlements encroach through the area of East Jerusalem, and the wall snakes through everything it becomes increasingly impossible for people to make a life there they the wall goes up and they find their dentist is on the other side of the wall so they find a dentist on their side of the wall and they can't go they can't go to the stores and the doctors and the schools and whatever they used to on the other side of the wall so then they find they find these things on their side of the wall and then israel said oh see your life is not really centered on jerusalem so we're going to take away your jerusalem residency permit and then they lose all of the privileges that and the services that went with that so there's this i this system of control with ids that's very parallel there's also the system of imprisonment of of people randomly they can under Israeli law, they can imprison anybody under what they call administrative detention. This is for up to six months. No charges, no explanation, no legal counsel, no redress, no way to deal with it, no bail, no, you're just, you're just arrested for six months. And then when they're done with the six months, if they want to, they'll extend it for another six months.
0: So, so people have literally spent years in jail without even being charged. Right. And I wanna break uh just jump in here really quick, Alan, because I have a question about that. You know, I know that um that is often, you know, that rule of the continual six months has been used for many Palestinian um prisoners and there's a list of thousands. Um but is this also you said anybody, you know, in the in the territory, so does this also go for, say, an Israeli, you know, anti Netanyahu protester, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. No, no, this is okay. Palestinians. Oh, Palestinians. Okay, so and I just I just want to mention that that two people that
2: in a a, a family that I know, when we've been on the West Bank, we've stayed at this family's house in the village of Nabi Saleh, and the the family, the the Tamimi family, the father of the family was arrested a little more than a week ago. They don't even know where he is right now, and this is a man that I have sat and discussed strategies of nonviolent protest. He is so committed to nonviolent protest and he's just been arrested and he's gone. They don't know where he is. And then a couple of days ago, his daughter, who's very well known, I had, she was um, well known because she was arrested when she was 17 and she was just arrested again at age 22. So, so, just in my own personal limited experience, I know two people who have just been arrested in the last week and a half.
0: Tell us more about your experience in the West Bank um and uh, what you saw there, you know, as you said, it's small ghettos. I believe it's some um, uh, uh it's around two hundred and twenty actually ghettos uh, separated by over six hundred military checkpoints. Um, and talk about these sterilization roads and the and and the wall and just what's happening there now and 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 your own experience.
2: Well, when you try no. and travel through the West Bank, I mean, it's certainly it's easier for me with an American passport and um, it. I can basically travel where I want, but I do get I do get stopped. I have to go through the checkpoints like anyone else. It's just that I'm allowed through them and the Palestinians are not. So. For example, Bethlehem is kind of, it's almost a suburb of Jerusalem. It's right next to it. It's a 20 minute drive. But if you are Palestinian and you want to get to East Jerusalem from Bethlehem, you can't just go straight through. You have to go. It takes about an hour and a half in order to get there because you have to go. You can't go on certain roads. You have to go on the roads that are, that are for the Palestinians. You can't go on the settler roads. And you have to go through certain checkpoints, which may or may not be open, which may or may not take you a long time to get through, or you may or may not get through them. So you can't just travel around, even in areas that are nominally all part of the West Bank. Villages are separated from other villages. Um, I remember when we went to the village, when we went to Nablus um, in 2007, and the we I was traveling with a group and we were in a van and we had to leave our van on one side of the checkpoint and walk through and move around Nablus in three different taxis because the van didn't have the right license plates to go through that checkpoint. Right. The only way you go through that checkpoint is walking. You don't get any vehicle through. And coincidentally, we were one of the places we were visiting there was a prison that, that had been an Israeli prison and was notorious for torture and Two of the three taxi drivers that we just happened to get had been held in that prison and tortured. So that gives you an idea of just the extent to which the imprisonment and the torture has permeated throughout Palestinian society.
0: Right. And and I want to hear about these, these, um, the ladders. Tell me about the ladders. Hebron is... If you don't believe it's apartheid, you just have to go to Hebron.
2: The yes, city like. of Hebron is divided into two sections. One is under Israeli military control, and it's all because there are there's a few settlements of really I, I have to say rabid re, religious settlers. They are God gave us this territory that nobody else belongs here. They should all leave they harass the palestinians in the area there's one house across from one of these settlements that has iron um that has um their windows are all covered with with metal uh caging because the israeli settlers just throw things at them and harass them so their whole house is, in, is enclosed in a cage because they have so much harassment from living across from these settlers. Um, the the marketplace has got chicken wire covering over it because there's settlements above, and they throw things down onto the marketplace. So the military's role has been to try and keep the population of Hebron separate from the settlers, and in order to do this, they've closed down certain streets, and they their term for it is sterilization. Right. Which, just the thought of it is, it's repulsive that somehow Palestinians are germs. You have to sterilize things. So there's, they have three levels. There is the level where Palestinian businesses are not allowed to operate on that street. So if you had a shop on that street, too bad. And, um, there's whole areas you can walk by with these shuttered, they're welded shut. These, they have these metal, Doors that are welded shut. The second level is that Palestinians can't drive on that street. So if you have the Palestinian license plate, you can't drive on that street. And the third is Palestinians cannot walk on that street. So there's a street that used to be the main market street in Hebron and it's deserted except for a few soldiers coming up and down and some settlers coming up and down and, and American Solidarity activists who go through, but it's a, it's now, it's a ghost street. And if you live on that street and you're Palestinian, you can't walk in your own front door. So if you go up on the rooftops, you'll look and you'll see ladders going from roof to roof. And sometimes, um, on the, there's walls on the rooftops between buildings and there'll be a hole in the wall so people can pass through. And so people get to their own houses by going to a doorway or a building that on a street where they're allowed to be and then going up to the roof and and going through some complicated way to get down into their own homes. They cannot
0: walk in their own front doors. Wow. Not to mention the homes that are either destroyed and apparently Palestinians have to pay for that destruction or the homes that are straight up kind of stolen by settlers and then, and, 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 um, you know, re-inhabited by, by settlers, um, a lot of which is going on in a more intense level right now, um, in the West Bank while, um, and, everything is happening in Gaza. But John, and, go ahead. Yeah.
1: And, and, uh, apparently a lot of these settlers are often, uh, kind of, uh, straight off the plane from the United States or even uh, you know uh, Brooklyn or Queens and and they have more rights uh, than the yeah, they the do. local Palestinians
2: yeah the way it works um settlers all this all the settlements on the West Bank are patently illegal under international law but the settlers the army has certain rules of engagement and their rules of engagement, for the settlers on the West Bank is that the army is not allowed to control them because they are Israeli citizens. So the army has, so if you wanted a, a settler to be arrested, you'd have to get a police, a police person. So, so the army is, and if a, if a settler is armed and shooting at people, the army is not allowed to shoot them. The, the only way the army could stop that person is to wait until they reload and nonviolently tackle them. They cannot. That's the rules of engagement for a settler on the West Bank. Okay. Because they're Israeli citizens, so the army is not allowed to touch them, whereas Palestinians are at the mercy of any soldier who wants to do anything they want, and they do.
1: Yeah. And and can you talk about uh, the recent upsurge uh, in violence uh, from the settlers on the West Bank? Uh, I mean, it started when... Netanyahu and his far right coalition came into power at the beginning of this year, but it's it, it seems to get have, back
0: into power. Yes, <laughs> and
1: it seems to have uh, uh, greatly uh, escalated since October seventh. Um, just talk about kind of the, the violence, the impunity, um, and, and then if you uh, could, uh, before we go, uh, offer your thoughts on uh, what you see as the the path forward, like what what a uh, mm-hmm. solution could look like.
2: Yeah, if there weren't, if there weren't such horrors going on in, in Gaza right now, what's happening on the West Bank would be drawing world attention because it's a horror show in its own rate, right? It just, I hate to say pales in comparison. It just, it's just not quite the order of magnitude of tens of 10,000 people being killed. But, uh, just in, you know, since October 7th, Almost 2,000 Palestinians have been detained by the military, have been arrested um, for starters. And the settlers were, you know, they were encouraged and emboldened when the Netanyahu government came back into power. And they, there are two kinds of settlers Um, there are religious settlers who really believe that God gave them this land and nobody else has the right to be there and everybody else is inferior human beings. And then there are, so there are economic settlers who just are living in a settlement because it's a nice suburb of Jerusalem and they can, they get subsidized and they can get to their job in Jerusalem on their settler only roads and it's a nice quick commute and lovely, beautiful neighborhoods. So, so what we're talking about here are, and, we, there's a whole other issue about how much culpability you have for being complicit in that system. But the, but the religious settlers are comparable to white nationalists and Nazis in this country. They believe that they have a God-given right to the land and that anything that's in their way is ex- expendable. And so they have been stepping up their attacks um that have been going on for decades. And right now it's the harvest season, and so um, it's the Palestinian farmers are trying to go out and harvest the olives, and this is always a season where the settlers go out and harass the farmers and make it impossible for them to earn a living from their agricultural land. And they-
0: Sometimes torch
2: their fields. They torch their fields. They t-
0: I, of I, olives, which can grow for hundreds of years.
2: Yeah. No, the olive trees, um, are like family members. They, some of them are, you know, a thousand years old. And, um, the settlers, they torch the fields. They've also, they bulldoze them. Um, and sometimes they dig up the olive trees and they'll replant them in a nice little traffic circle in a settlement. So a tree that might have been in your family for generations is now a, a decorative element in a settlement traffic circle. Um, and so they make it, they want to make it basically impossible for the Palestinians to live there. So whatever it takes, violence, destroying crops, destroying homes, burning houses, that's what they do because God gave them this land. They're real estate agents in the sky, and so it's it's their right. And this is what has been happening.
1: Yeah, on the and, West Bank. and just the the last question: What do you see as the 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 path forward? Uh,
2: well, you know, despite what's happening right now. I haven't been doing this work for 45 years. Um, I have actually seen a great shift in the narrative and also among progressives. And also, I think it's very important among Jews. The narrative is finally shifting. So people understand that Israel is not a, not a democracy. First of all, it's not a place of equal rights um that the occupation is a brutal and oppressive system and that Palestinians have been living under this for 75 years so that there actually has been a lot of shift in public opinion although it might not feel that way sometimes when you look at the Democrats you can only get 18 Democrats to sign on to a ceasefire resolution but there really is a shift and I think that, that like South Africa, Israel is not going to be able to correct itself just on its own internally. It's going to take
1: the, we have about
0: a global campaign seconds left.
2: of, of economic, diplomatic, political pressure to make this change. And I continue to feel that BDS. The Boycott Divestment Sanctions Movement is a very important tool in this country and, and worldwide. Um, and it, it might feel like it hasn't got a big foothold, but I didn't realize when I was doing the work in the late 70s around South Africa, I didn't realize that that divestment campaign actually started in the 1950s. So so the current BDS campaign, which started in the early 2000s, has really actually got huge traction in many, many ways.
1: Okay, that was uh, the independence Ellen Davidson talking about her article, What Does It Mean to Call Israel an Apartheid State? I uh, want to thank our uh, uh, board operator, Reggie Johnson. We will be, uh, for today's show, will be preempted next week and back on November 21st. And we'll uh, sign off here with a song uh, from Miriam el uh, Hajali uh, called Always in Transition. Uh, Miriam will be one of the performers at our November 18th Palestine Solidarity Night at Starbar in Bushwick. Mm-hmm.
0: Good evening.